WTBN Pinellas Park. If it's been a while since you've worshipped at your local church, they invite you back. Attend services this weekend. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Why do we allow bitterness, hostility, and antagonism to cripple our character, twist our personalities, and blight our relationship with others? All of this leads to tremendous tension, stress, and darkness within. Many of us do not even realize that this state of affairs exists in our lives. In some cases, we have lived this way so long, we are hardly aware of the warfare within ourselves. Belligerence, spite, and ill will have become companions whom we almost accept as normal life partners. How horrible. We've created a prison for ourselves. That is sad. But it's a prison some of us have made for ourselves, and the Lord wants to help us break out of it. Why do we let ourselves get into this sorry condition? Basically, it's because we are just doing what comes naturally. And that's the topic of our class today as we continue to learn about the Lord's Prayer. This is Verse by Verse, led by pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been ministering at Lakeside since 1981. We are moving toward the conclusion of this in-depth study of what we usually call the Lord's Prayer. Today is the third and final part of Pastor Steve's fifth message on the subject. If you would like to hear the entire message, stay tuned at the end of the broadcast for the phone number I'll give at that time. Right now, though, we should get ready for class to begin. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. Pastor Steve is teaching about a couple of key issues that the Lord addressed in this part of the prayer. The first key issue was, God does forgive our sins. The second key issue is that God forgives us only as we forgive others. Once again, verse 12. Jesus said, and forgive us our debts. We already looked at that. But then he said, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, with these words, Jesus taught a very solemn truth about forgiveness. He taught that the only believers that God forgives, and now he's talking not judicial forgiveness, remember, fellowship forgiveness. The only believers that God forgives are those who forgive others. Now, this does not mean that we have to earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others, but rather that we can't ask and expect God to forgive us unless our hearts are right with other people. That's the point. You're not earning this. He doesn't forgive you because you forgive others. It's just based on the fact that you have to be right with other people. And to make sure that we didn't misunderstand this, this is why Jesus clarifies this in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that God's children are to forgive. There's no question about that. I'm amazed when, when Christians aren't aware of this because the Bible makes it clear. In fact, even before Jesus spoke about this directly, in the very Sermon on the Mount that we're studying, he implied this. If you look at, at chapter 5, verse 7, this is exactly what he means when he said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Those who are merciful receive mercy. And then in chapter 5, again, 
verses 44 and 45, he said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Act like you're a child of God. He says, for he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. As we've been shown God's mercy, we're to show others mercy by forgiving them. But you know what? The Bible is even more direct than this. And I'd like you to turn to Ephesians 4. This is important. Ephesians chapter 4. I read the parallel passage to you before we prayed, uh, found in Colossians 3, but Ephesians 4 is very direct. In Ephesians 4, Paul writes this to the church at Ephesus, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Pretty direct. But when you understand the context, it, it, it gives the fullness and richness of this. The context of Ephesians 4, starting about verse 22, and we won't go through all of this, but the Apostle Paul makes an analogy and a contrast between what we used to be before coming to Christ and what our behavior is to be now. He calls it the old man or the old self, and then the new man or the new self. Now, what he's teaching is this. When we are converted, we become new creatures in Christ. But that doesn't mean that our behavior is always new because we bring a lot of baggage from the old life into our Christian lives. That's why sanctification is compared to putting off and putting on. We put off old habits that we established that we don't need to continue, that we used to do when we were unsaved, but sometimes we still do now. We put those off and we begin to develop new habits of godly response and behavior. It's put off and put on. Now, beginning with verse 25, Paul makes some specific contrast between the old man and the new man in his behavior. He tells us that the old man lies, but the new man tells the truth. The old man steals, but the new man shares and gives to others. The old man speaks words that are unwholesome. The new man speaks words that build up and encourage others. Then notice verse 31. This is how the old man behaves. Let all bitterness, wrath, Anger, clamor, slander, we put away from you, along with all malice. The old man is an angry, bitter, malicious man. But, he said, that's in the past. You're not to behave that way. No longer. If you're doing that, put it off. Change. How are we to behave? We're to behave, like verse 32 says, we're to be now kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven us. We're to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. Why? Folks, listen, because we've been forgiven by God. All of our sins have been forgiven. We've been forgiven by him. Now, let's think about this. The the Greek word here that's translated forgiving is not the usual word. The usual word for forgiveness means essentially to cancel, cancel the debt. But this word means to act in grace. It means to freely forgive. In other words, Paul is commanding us to forgive people who don't deserve our forgiveness. They don't deserve it. Just as God has forgiven us and we don't deserve his forgiveness, it's called grace. So we are to extend that same graciousness in forgiving others who have sinned against us. So instead of striking back at them by harboring resentment and anger, we are to graciously forgive those who sin against us. Why? Paul says, because you've been forgiven by God. You understand what forgiveness is. So forgive others. That's the key to forgiving other people. To remember, how much has God forgiven me? How much has he forgiven you? 
Anytime we refuse to forgive others, this, this forgiveness that God says we are to have, we need to remember just really how sinful we are and how much we've been forgiven. Otherwise, it reveals, if you don't forgive others, it reveals a very serious problem of pride and self-righteousness. That's, that's really what it is. As if, as if we uh, aren't forgiven sinners ourselves, as if we're all above this, as if we're not capable of doing to others what they've done to us. What arrogance, what hypocritical arrogance. How dare we not forgive others when we've been forgiven all of our sins? And how, how dare we justify this? And I know people who do that. Well, you don't understand. You know, it's, it, this is so hideous. Listen, whatever someone has done to you, it's never been more hideous than what you and I have done towards God. How dare we not forgive those who have sinned against us? It is the height of arrogance and hypocritical self-righteousness to accept God's forgiveness for the massive amounts of sins that we've committed, but we refuse to forgive those who, by comparison, have sinned just a little bit against us. That's that's the, the wickedness of it all. As John Stott writes, once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trifling. And they are, extremely. Well, let's face it. There are scores, scores of professing Christians who are not willing to forgive others. They harbor old hurts and they nurture these feelings until they are dominated by bitterness. They carry resentment and they hold grudges in their hearts over things said or done to them years ago. They nourish this. They, they cherish these animosities. They, they have a certain wicked pleasure that they, that they get out of holding a grudge. It's like they hold the upper hand. They won't let go of it. They have no desire to pardon anyone for what they've done to them. What do we say to those who claim to know Christ, but have an absolute unwavering unwillingness to forgive others? They put their foot down and they say, I will never, ever forgive. I'll tell you what I say to them. You must be born again. You must be born again because you have never been converted. A converted man understands what it is to forgive others because he's been forgiven. Now, that doesn't mean that a converted person doesn't struggle. We're not talking about struggling with forgiveness now. We're not talking about having uh, an emotionally difficult time doing this. We're talking about an absolute refusal to forgive. I will never, ever forgive. Those who adamantly refuse to forgive others have never been forgiven by God. I say that with dogmatism. That's what scripture teaches. Let me, let me have you look at Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, look, look at how God has changed us. And if someone has never been changed like this, then they have never been converted. Titus 3 verse 1, Paul, uh, Paul tells Titus, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Now watch this, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. And then verse 3 is the key. He says you can do this. You're capable of this. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our lives in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. And then he goes on to say, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love appeared and so forth. I mean, we've been changed. Then he speaks about the salvation we have. Hey, we were once like that, hating everybody, malicious, mean-spirited, 
nasty. But when you're saved, you may struggle with that, but you're not adamant about that. You're not content to stay there. There are others, on the other hand, who are genuine believers, who do struggle a great deal with forgiveness. They've been so deeply hurt and wounded, disappointed by someone that they just find it hard to forgive. And, and we, we can relate to that. We understand that. These are the people that Jesus was referring to in verses 14 and 15. We know that because according to Jesus, God is the father of those who forgive and those who don't forgive. The only difference, he said, is that those who forgive are forgiven by the father and those who don't forgive are not forgiven by him in the sense of fellowship forgiveness. So the question is, why won't God forgive us if we don't forgive others? And the answer is very simple, because as long as there's unrepentant sin in your heart, the Bible says that you can have no fellowship with God. That doesn't mean struggling with sin. It means unrepentant sin. And it's summed up in the great statement in Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard wickedness in my heart, regarding wickedness is not struggling with wickedness. Regarding wickedness means I know it's there and I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm not going to do anything about it. If that attitude is there, then the Bible says the Lord will not hear. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. In other words, God won't answer your prayers. If there's some sin in your life that you refuse to deal with, and that includes the sin of unforgiveness, God will not hear your prayers. You might as well not pray. Remember, I don't want to discourage anyone. He's not talking about struggling. He's not talking about coming to him and saying, Lord, I really want to forgive this person. Help me to forgive this person. I'm having a hard time. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about praying to him, but having this attitude that says, I hate this person over here, and I'm going to continue hating this person over here, and I know it's wrong, but I'm not doing anything about it. Might as well not even pray, because God's not going to respond. What happens to a Christian who does not experience God's fellowship type of forgiveness I can sum it up in one word, miserable. They're miserable. They lose all joy. They have no spiritual usefulness. They're often overly sensitive, touchy people, easily offended because all they think about is themselves. These people are often very critical of others. They, they can't maintain meaningful relationships. They often have marital problems because that's the person you have a primary relationship with. Can't get along with people. They can't pray. They can't worship. They're in inner turmoil. Sometimes they even get physically ill because they're stressed out. What's happening? They are under the disciplinary hand of God. They're under the disciplinary hand of God. And the amazing thing is that they've lived so long like this that they think it's normal. It's not normal. It's abnormal. It's subnormal. Philip Keller in his book on the Lord's Prayer wrote these significant words. Why do most of us have trouble forgiving those who have wronged us? Why is it so hard to to give up old resentments and ill will? Why do we harbor hate and grudges? Why do we allow bitterness, hostility, and antagonism to cripple our character, twist our personalities, and blight our relationship with others? All of this leads to tremendous tension, stress, and darkness within. Many of us do not even realize that the state of affairs exists in our lives. In some cases, we have lived this way so long, we are hardly aware of the warfare within ourselves. Belligerence, spite, and ill will have become companions whom we almost accept as normal life partners. How horrible. How horrible. We've created a prison for ourselves. Jesus gave a parable about this very issue. And I'd like you to turn there and we'll close with this. Parable, Matthew chapter 18. 
In Matthew chapter 18, he's been talking about forgiveness and people praying or sinning against you. And and the parable is given not only to encourage us to forgive others by showing us how much we've been forgiven, but also the point of this parable is to show us the consequences when we don't forgive others. It really starts in verse 21. And I'm going to read it and then briefly explain it. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle uh, settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had in repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Now, Peter starts off trying to be very gracious and saying, Lord, I know that the rabbi said forgive three times, but how about if I double it and add one to it seven times? I think Peter was really very proud of himself. And Jesus said, no, no, that's not it at all. Our forgiveness is to be without any limits. He didn't, he didn't mean 490 times. He meant there's no limit. And then he illustrated the type of limitless forgiveness, what it's all about. He talks about a servant who owed his, the, the king, his lord, a debt. The debt was something he could never repay. Never. You should understand that. He could never. He, didn't, he couldn't live long enough to repay it. One talent equals 6,000 days of work. This man would have had to work for six days a week for about 20 years to earn one talent. Listen, the parable says he owed him 10,000 talents. It's an obvious uh, high number to show that it's impossible. Just like our sin, we can never repay the debt. For all of eternity in hell, you can't, you can't repay the debt. You'll never pay for your sin. But the king forgave him. He was moved by compassion. He forgave him all of his debt. Yet this forgiven man, This man who could never repay his own debt refused to forgive someone who owed him just a little bit. 100 denarii was about the equivalent of three months of work, a summer job. That's all. And the result was his lack of forgiveness. What was it? The king said, torture him. Now, what is this torture? I don't believe Jesus is teaching that the torture is hell. I believe he's teaching here that that the torture is the consequences of an unforgiving life. Frustration tension, perhaps ulcers, headaches, no joy, continuous unresolved conflicts, being just miserable. That's the torture. Folks, this is the torture that some of us may be experiencing because God has been disciplining us, perhaps for years, for your lack of forgiveness. If you've been forgiven by Jesus Christ, get out of this torture chamber. 
begin to forgive others. It may be maybe a spouse who's hurt you deeply. It may be a parent, maybe an employer who's treated you unjustly. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a relative, a fellow church member. Maybe it's even a pastor or, or an elder in this church or some other church. Whoever has sinned against you, you need to forgive. Now, you don't have to feel like forgiving them, but you have to obey. Don't wait until you feel like forgiving anybody or you'll be waiting a long time. Do what's right and your feelings will catch up. Catch up. And don't think, well, I can, I can forgive, but I, I can't forget. God doesn't forget either. You'll always remember, but don't hold it against them. Forgiveness is an act of your will. You choose to forgive. If, if you're not forgiving, it's because you've chosen not to. You're holding on to this because, as I said before, it's a wicked pleasure you enjoy. Repent of that. By an act of your will, choose to no longer hold this sin against someone. Don't punish them anymore in your, in your heart and mind. And the proof that, that you really have forgiven them is that you don't feel awkward seeing them again. You can enjoy fellowship with them once again. Now, I think the key is this. Remember how sinful you are. Has God forgiven you? If he has, then how could you not forgive someone else? Let's bow for prayer. Today, do you need to forgive someone? Right now, in your own heart, who do you need to forgive? Choose to forgive them. Just remember how much God has forgiven you and that it's the height of arrogance, pride, self-righteousness to not forgive others. Be free from the torture of an unforgiven or unforgiving life. And you need to begin to make sure that you confess your sins. When you pray, confess them. Confess them the right way. No excuses, no justification. Lord, I'm, I've sinned. Forgive me. And accept God's forgiveness. Thank him for it. Now, if you've never experienced God's judicial forgiveness, then you need to be converted. And it's possible that some of you who think that your Christians are not, and the proof is that you refuse to forgive someone else. I know people like that. They justify it. They excuse it. They say, you don't know what, you, what it's really like. This is different. It's not different. It's called sin. You need to be forgiven. Come to Christ today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this impassioned few verses in the Bible that deal with such a critical issue in our lives. Lord, may those who have never experienced the forgiveness that comes from God the judge, may they experience it in Christ. That's the only way to experience it. And may those of us, Lord, who have enjoyed your forgiveness, may we forgive others and not be self-righteous and and arrogant in holding and withholding forgiveness. Lord, may we be a church where there's never anything between us, certainly between us and our fellow members, between us and you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. What a lesson. Jesus was incredibly direct, wasn't he? We can't expect fellowship with God if we choose to not forgive those who have hurt us. I know someone right now who seems to be experiencing the torture that Pastor Steve talked about because he's never forgiven a parent for something horrible. It was a terrible thing that parent did, but my friend needs to forgive it before God will restore to him the joy of his salvation. This concludes our lesson for today and completes Pastor Steve's message on forgiveness from the Lord's Prayer. I hope you'll be with us next time for the next message on the Lord's Prayer. It's a marvelous passage of Scripture with so much deep truth in just these few verses that is taking us several weeks to study it all. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida is our teacher here on Verse by Verse. 
He has been ministering at Lakeside for over 25 years, and Verse by Verse Ministries is an outgrowth of that teaching ministry. Verse by Verse Ministries is a faith ministry which depends on the prayers and gifts of interested listeners who have first been supportive of their local church. If you would like to hear today's broadcast again, it is available at our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can listen online or sign up for our free podcasting service. There is also a link on the site that will take you to our archives where you can hear earlier programs. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, there is a place to subscribe right there on our website. That's versebyverseradio.org. To hear Pastor Steve's entire message on this part of the Lord's Prayer, it is available on cassette or audio CD. Please call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727 447